Tiff Joe is an LPGA pro golfer who has competed in the U.S. Women's Open, Women's PGA Championship, ANA Inspiration, and the British Open. A former UCLA women's golfer, Tiff finds learning how to relax, or rather, quote, treat yourself, as probably the single most important skill any golfer or athlete can learn. Probably the most cerebral sport on the planet, golf has challenged Tiff and others to trust themselves to perform under pressure and in less than ideal conditions. Enjoy. P.S. If you like what you heard, please be sure to drop us a line on iTunes telling us why. Thank you. All right, cool. What is your super secret origin story? Super secret origin story. I don't know if it's super secret, but um, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the girls that I play against on tour started super young, like maybe five or six years old. And a lot of them started playing because they had someone in their family that was an avid golfer. Um, For me, it was a little different. My dad was a professor at San Diego State when I was around 11 or 12 years old. And there was a free junior golf program next to the campus. So he actually used to just drop me off in the summers because he didn't want to pay for a babysitter. So um, yeah, that was pretty much how I got started. And so I think from the beginning, I always kind of felt that I was a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, I always felt like these girls I I was competing against in junior golf were had like a six or seven year head start on me. So I think in, in my eyes, it was kind of a blessing that I started a little bit late because it kind of gave me a little bit motivation to start taking it seriously right away. Instead of, I feel like when you start, when you're five or six, sometimes you don't really know what's going on. You're just kind of going out and getting excited to drive the golf cart around and but I started when I was 12 but right away I started competing and right away I started playing in tournaments I mean I got dead last for like three years but but, you know it was nice to kind of get that competitive bug early on yeah definitely now did you do you feel like starting uh, I mean and I'm kind of curious with youth youth sports in general like what I've seen especially in like lacrosse in the northeast and uh, football sometimes the the kids can hyper specialize in it too fast too soon and then like they lose all the fun with it do you see that as something that happens in golf as well when like kids dive into it too soon whether like the parents couldn't hold them back or like the parents push them too hard oh 100 percent. i mean i think back to a lot of the girls that i grew up playing with that were like kind of just running the game when they were 11 12 years old and mm-hmm. maybe started specializing too soon and maybe didn't really play a variety of other sports growing up. And now I look back and a lot of them are either injured or they're just super burnt out or they just completely hate playing, which is really unfortunate because golf is one of those things that you could play until you're like 120 years old. (laughs) Um, And in a way, I also think that it was kind of a blessing that my parents didn't really have any interest in golf at the time, because I think for them, it was just kind of like, a way for me to fill my time. And because of that, I was never really pushed into it by them. Um, mm-hmm. Every time I wanted to go practice, it was just pure self-motivation. And, and if I, um, like, I remember in like middle school, my dad would take me to school, but I would get him up like 40 minutes early so we could putt at Oaks North for like 30 minutes before he dropped me off. But right. I mean, a lot of that was me waking him up and dragging his butt to the car and getting right. him to take me. So um, I honestly think like from early on, it kind of cultivated my own motivation and and like my own love of the game Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that that's that's interesting because it's not like and I guess for parents it's kind of tough because like you want you don't want your kid just sitting in front of the tv doing nothing but you also don't want to push them so hard that there's like a boomerang effect where (laughs) you end up getting the exact opposite result of what you wanted 
Now you, yeah, you and, gonna, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I was just thinking like golf is also super one-sided. So, I mean, like I think about just the toll that, and I'm sure kicking is the same. You're probably just kicking with the same foot every time. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking like, if you're starting from five or six years old and you're swinging one direction and you're doing it, you know, thousands of times a week, I mean, over 30, 40 years, that's got to have some kind of toll on your body. And I think at the end of the day, um, I've always been a um, big proponent of like consistency over intensity. Mm -hmm. So I think rather than the flash in the pan, like I will take someone who practices golf 20 minutes every day over someone who every other weekend puts in like 12 hours. Um, I just think it's just a lot more sustainable for you. So um, I think like in terms of injury and burnout, like it was nice that when I think when I first started, my dad told me like, if you're really going to take this seriously, um, just touch your clubs every day. It doesn't even have to, you don't even have to hit a ball. If you just like grip your clubs every day, like that'll be big enough to, have improvement over time and over like 20, 30 years, it'll add up. And he was like, but don't be that kid that doesn't touch their clubs for like two months and then goes and tries to cram like a weekend right. and then thinks that they're going to go out and dominate in a tournament. Right. Which is like 80% of everybody that plays golf. And right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, you'll get a lot more out of doing a little bit every day than a lot once in a while, whether it's like golf, football, soccer, um, I think because, and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but I, the way that sports and like success is like marketed in the sporting world, it's always, it's marketed as a moment, like that miracle moment where everything comes together or like that flash in the pan, like you said, but the reality is often very different. Yeah. I think everyone kind of envisions like, like a week long montage, like you would see in Rocky or something like if I just work really hard for like five days on the sixth day. I'm going to be ripped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is not true. Cause then like you burn out and you're like eating a bag of chips, watching Netflix or, or Lion (laughs) Kings. If that or Tiger Kings. Yes. Tell me you've watched it. (laughs) I haven't watched it yet. My wife, like we, we keep like hovering over it and I'm like, I don't know. It is an emotional roller coaster. And I like, (laughs) I'm a little upset that I wasted all that time in my life. But at the same time, I was like, I can't that. imagine not having watched it just to be able to interpret all these memes that are out on the internet right, right now. It's worth it just to understand the memes on Twitter. Right. <laughs> um, now you kind of mentioned that, you know, there is burn, burnout does exist in golf. I think it's in every sport, but I think in particular golf is more like a lot of you versus the ball type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe similar to like a baseball pitcher or like an NFL kicker or a goalie or um so I'm curious, like, how do you avoid burnout? Because I think a lot of athletes almost feel guilty if they take their foot off the gas for a day or two, because there's all this, like, you know, if you're not working hard, somebody out there is trying to take your job and stuff like that. How do you recharge and find balance in that? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because when I was younger, I definitely had a little bit of that anxiety where I just refused to take a day off. And um, actually even extended into my first year on tour. I like, I mean, I think when you're younger because you'll play a tournament and then you'll go back and even in college, you'll go back to school and take finals and you'll have like three or four weeks in between tournaments. Um, It's almost okay to be a little bit like that. But when you get on tour, you're playing 
maybe like 30 weeks a year. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think last year at one point I played 12 weeks straight and it's just not sustainable to be grinding on the range <laughs> every day. Um, so actually after my second year on tour, I actually lost my tour card and had to go back to Q school to try and requalify. And in the month before Q school, um, I, I went on this like surf trip to Nicaragua, didn't know how to surf, but I thought it was like a good chance to kind of leave my golf clubs at home and kind of be forced to take time off. Um, because, you know, where I was staying in Nicaragua, there were no golf courses, there was no access to golf clubs. And for me, it was the first time I had taken like a week and a half completely away from the clubs. And then I came back and had a little bit more fire and motivation to practice and um, started working pretty hard for the next three weeks and then ended up going back to Q school and getting second, doing really great. Um, and ever since then, and Cody jokes around because I almost go a little overboard, <laughs> but I call it my treat Joe self trip. So, nice. um, Parks and Rec reference. <laughs> yeah. So after the final event of the season, I always take three weeks off, um, okay. completely away from the clubs. And, you know, it usually ends up being like a couple surf trips back to back or one giant surf trip, just because, um, for me, if I have access to the golf course, I'll figure out a way to go and practice because I just love right. playing and I love, you know, working on things and tweaking things. Um, so for me, I almost have to like, forced myself to be in a place where I'm completely disconnected from clubs and then also distract myself with something else. Um, and so like in retrospect, I kind of look back as me losing my card my second year on tour as a little bit of a blessing in disguise because I probably would never have taken up surfing and gotten that like really healthy distraction away from golf. Um, and now it's like, it's such a part of my like yearly schedule to like, look forward to my little treat Joe self trip. And mm -hmm. I mean, now it's like, we're, you know, obviously shelter in place orders right now. And, you know, I haven't really practiced very much, but I mean, I'm still doing some mirror work and like, it's actually not driving me as crazy as it might've when I was younger. So it's, it's actually kind of refreshing. Nice. Can you just for the listeners out there, can you define what Q school is and what that process is like to qualify for a tour? So, um, so there's two ways to get your full card on the LPGA. One way is to compete on the Symmetra Tour, which is essentially the minor leagues that feeds into the LPGA. So at the end of the year, when I played, I think it was the top five um, on the money list graduated to the LPGA. And I think now it's the top 10. Um, but the other way you can qualify, like let's say you fall off of the LPGA or let's say you just fall short of getting one of those top five cards through the Symmetra Tour, is to go through this like grueling three-stage um, like tournament at the end of the year. And it's three stages. The final stage is two weeks long. Um, it's like, I want to say, I think eight or nine rounds. Um, so, and then at the end of that, the top 20 end up getting their card for the next year. But it's like a, obviously very high pressure, high stakes kind of golf. Um, and Tra like traditionally I've seen in the past, the people who uh, get their card through the Symmetra tour seem to do better on the LPGA than Q school, because it's really, it really comes down to like one or two weeks. So if you just happen to be on fire those two weeks, like you'll get your card and sometimes those girls will struggle. Um, but it's definitely not really a situation you ever really want to put yourself in right. um, just because who knows what's going to happen in two weeks, right? Like sure. th things just happen. Gotcha. 
Now, when you, um, and I guess, well, I guess I'm kind of curious here, like when you were trying to, now you played at UCLA, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So can you kind of talk us through what the college recruiting process is like for golf in particular? Cause I know every sports, I mean, football is insane and you know, the NCAA is kind of a mess, but what, what was that process like for college recruiting for golf? It was honestly really, really fun. <laughs> it's just fun to get wooed and everything. Um, I'm sure yeah. it's a lot different than college football. And actually, like back in my time, I mean, I graduated college in 2005. And so back in my time, it was actually a lot different too. I mean, the recruiting process was actually like a recruiting process because uh, like, I mean, we were committing to colleges, you know, junior year, senior year. Um, nowadays I look at when kids are committing to what colleges they're going to play and they're committing when they're like 11, 12 years old. I think I read somewhere that this kid committed to like Oklahoma state and he was like 13 years old, which is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I think for me it was, it was pretty straightforward because I knew that I wanted to play at UCLA. Um, I had a couple friends that were a little older than I was and they were already at UCLA. And so I knew the program was really good academics wise. I knew that it was good. I knew it was something that my parents would approve of me going to. Um, And also I remember when I was in high school and I was playing at CIS and, you know, because I started really late, I didn't really start getting very good until maybe like 17, 18, which is kind of on the later side in -hmm. terms of recruiting and um, trying to, get recruited to play at like the college that you want to. But I remember because I had a couple friends that were already playing at UCLA, they had told the coach there to just check me out, just go and like watch me play at CIS and see how I did. And I just remember <laughs> she came and watched me play and I played awful, like played so bad. Yeah. But um, when I first sat down with her on July 1st and we got to talking for the first time, she told me like, the most impressive thing was that even though you were having a really, really bad day, you were still really nice to the people you were playing with. You didn't like lose your temper out on the golf course. And she was like, at the end of the day, college coaches know what your stats are. They know you're a good player or, you know, if you're someone that needs to be polished later on. And she was like, when we go out and watch, we're just trying to see what your demeanor is to see um, like how respectful you are to your competitors. If, you know, you're helping them look for their golf ball when they hit into the bushes, or if you're just kind of like, screw it, I'm going to do my own thing. And, and she's like, that's that's actually what we're looking for and Mm -hmm. to this day whenever I talk to someone who's in high school and they're in the recruiting process I always tell them like when you play no matter what you do um like always act as if a college coach is watching you because they might be watching you do the smallest things and it might help you solidify a spot on their team um so that's always like a message I like to say to junior golfers to you know no matter how like at the end of the day when a coach comes and watches you play, don't be nervous about like performance, just make sure you're yourself and make sure you're being respectful. And that's probably the most important thing they're looking for. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And when you, so like when I see athletes and, and I kind of talked to Cody about this too, um, Cody Smith, who's on the show a little bit earlier, a couple episodes ago, athletes tend to fall into, and I guess people in general kind of fall into like one of two categories. You have the people that are like super anal and like analytical and they confuse their performance with their self-worth and like really get down on themselves. And then there's the other people on the opposite end of the spectrum that are like super laid back and detached and like 
would never have a bad day, even if they had the worst game of their life. Mm-hmm. I guess what's, where do you kind of fall on that uh, spectrum in terms of like what type of athlete you are with golf? And, and I guess more importantly, what type of demeanor do you think uh, every golfer needs to be successful? Cause it's not, it's not really the, the golfer who has the 400 yard drive. That's the best golfer, right? It's like, how good is your bad day? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I like to think I'm more towards the latter. Um, I think almost like detrimentally. <laughs> so, um, laid back to a fault. I, yeah, a little bit. I think, um, you know, like coming from an Asian background, I, you know, see my peers that also have the come from the same background as I do. And, and I definitely feel like their parents have maybe instilled in them like a little bit more of like that anal. Like, I mean, I like to think of it as like intense and like attention to detail. And I definitely don't have that, which is why when I hire a caddy, I make sure they're super anal (laughs) and they have attention to detail because I know I'm not like that at all. And, um, but I think like in some ways I, I do feel like it holds me back a little bit. I think maybe I could afford to be a little bit more driven, but in some ways I, I also feel like it's a huge asset. And one example is when conditions get really bad. Um, like whenever we play at the Scottish open or the British open and it's raining sideways and it's blowing 40 to 50 miles per hour, I always feel like I have a leg up because, um, I feel like that's a hundred percent attitude. I think when conditions get really hard like that, I feel like a lot of the technical skill set somewhat goes out the window and it all becomes um, like who, who is in the best mindset that day. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny because sometimes I'll look outside and I'll see it pouring down sideways and I'll be like, Ooh, this is, this is my time. You know? Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think, um, and I think a lot of that maybe has come a little bit with age too. Cause like I said, when I was younger, I was definitely a little bit more type A. Um, but I don't know, maybe you get older and you just get a little bit more tired. (laughs) (laughs) You stop caring as much, you sleep more. Yeah. And I think honestly, like starting to surf also helped my mindset a lot. I think Mm -hmm. it, it mellowed me out a lot just because surfing in general is like just very calming, especially if you're a longboarder. So, um, I think (laughs) Cody will tell you that he, I think he truly believes, and it might be true actually, that I sometimes like surfing more than I like golfing (laughs) come into the gym and I'll just be like sopping with salt water and there'll be like seaweed and kelp coming out of my hair right well I mean you also but you need to as an athlete or a a pro like you have to have something outside of your sport that gives you energy and recharges you because if you're if you need your sport to be like a whole person you're going to crumble apart on the days that you're not doing so well so I and I've, I've surfed too and man it is like the first time I ever went surfing was one of my buddies who's like a really like longtime surfer. And he like, we were in Spain or something like that. And it was, I had a longboard. I'd never surfed before. He was like, bro, you'll be fine. You just, <laughs> but you have to, the wave that you have to catch has to be big. Otherwise you'll fall off your board. And like, I'm trying to like follow him paddling out and like, <laughs> I can't sink the board through the wave because it's a long board and it's too buoyant. I just got, yeah. <laughs> so, but it is relaxing though. And like, so I guess, what do you love most about surfing and how do you feel like surfing has translated more positively into your golf game or like personal life? Well, I think surfing and golfing are actually surprisingly really similar. And I think that's why 
you see a lot of surfers like Kelly Slater and Steph Gilmore, and they play golf when the surf is flat. Um, and I think a lot of it is like matching line and speed. Um, I feel like surfing is actually a little bit harder because the slope of the wave is constantly changing. So I would imagine it like going to a putting green and trying to sink a putt with a green like like shifting constantly, which would oh, make, make it sense, a lot yeah. more difficult. Um, but yeah, I think it's also really similar in golf that like when you're obviously I started surfing like really late, like in my 20s. And so it was it's you kind of apply the same concept, right, of consistency over intensity. And I remember when I first, like, you're not going to be able to learn how to surf in one eight hour session, but, you know, little 30 minute sessions every day for two months or three months, like you can get pretty comfortable in the water and, and get to a certain level. And, um, I think that's the same with golf. I think you're better off just chipping in your yard for 20 minutes a day (laughs) over like three months. And then a lot of it is also, um, you know, with surfing and golf, um, because you're kind of like adapting to different conditions, it's really hard to like, like isolate certain things. And then actually golf is probably easier because you go to, go to the range, go to the putting green, and then you can like work on certain fundamentals and technique. But once you're out on the course, you're out on the course. You can't think about that stuff anymore. It's a lot of like, um, like controlled practice versus, you know, random practice. Um, and I feel like surfing's a lot like that because every single wave is going to be different. Just like when you're on the golf course, every shot's going to be a little different. Um, and I think that's what really attracts me to it. It's kind of like a, a mixture of like technique and, and creativity. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that you know, it's funny, like a lot of NFL kickers, they spend their, you only kick so many footballs in a practice. So most of those guys end up spending a lot of their time on the practice, uh, you know, on the, on the putting green or the driving range. Um, just to take their mind off kicking because it is like it is hard it is easy to get too invested in your sport or your position Mm -hmm. right Um, let's see here all right so let's kind of talk about when you are you know so like when you're when you're going to do a tournament and it's a quote-unquote high stakes tournament let's say like you know you have to hit a certain score to keep your card or something like that how Mm -hmm. do you how did how did you at first deal with pressure and how do you deal with pressure now yeah it's interesting because you know like I feel like that's probably the number one question I get asked at junior clinics kids Mm -hmm. are always like what do you do with like with like nerves and honestly I think nerves are a great thing Mm -hmm. um I think the day that I step up to the first tee and I'm not nervous is the day that I need to quit playing competitive golf because if you're not nervous, it means you don't care. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've always kind of viewed it as like a healthy thing. And, and especially now it's um, because we're like in quite a big break from competitive golf. And um, at some point we're probably going to be able to like, like golf courses will open again, we'll be able to practice again, but nothing really replaces just being competitive. Um, and I would say that's probably the thing that I miss most. So for me, when I'm trying to recreate like pressure, um, I'm trying to create drills that will make me a little nervous, like something that gives, like puts something on the line a little bit. So, you know, if it's a putting drill, it'll be like a, like a must make type of putting drill where, you know, I'll put tees up around and, and if I like, and I'll try to make three in a row from each tee, but if I miss one, I have to start all over. Um, and I think the more that you practice being under pressure, the better you get at it. 
Um, and in the same way, like with playing tournaments, I, I see a lot of girls who won't go play tournaments until they think that their game is really, really ready for it. And to be honest, I don't think you're, especially in golf, your game is ever really ready. You just go and play. And the more competition you play with whatever you have, I feel like the better competitor you become. Um, so I feel like the best way to learn to deal with that pressure is to just put yourself under pressure all the time. <laughs> right. Do you feel that golf lends itself to more type A people who are perfectionists? Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that's kind of become a little bit of a problem on tour girls that get so like deeply invested, like personally invested into the game that I think there's like a higher rate of depression on our tour than people would actually think. And, you know, you would think as like a professional athlete that's in like the top 1% of something that's as difficult as golf that for the most part, like they would be pretty happy. But I think I see a lot of unhappy people in professional golf, which is really sad. But I think a lot of that is because it's one thing to, you know, put all your self-worth into something that gives back exactly what you put into it. But golf is not like that. <laughs> golf is one of those things where, I mean, you could do everything right and it just, you just don't get the score that you need. So um, I think with, especially a game as mercurial as golf is, it's so much more important to be able to leave the golf course and completely leave everything behind and be able to go and live your life for the rest of your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like there's, players who are prisoners of their first couple shots you know and like mm -hmm. if they have a great first couple shots then they know it's going to be a great day and if they don't then they just kind of go with that do you and that's interesting you bring up that there's a higher rate of depression among was that was it L, lpga or just golf in general um i think golf in general like i think on the pga tour as well um mm -hmm. but i definitely see it on the lpga all the time is, do you feel like there is a stigma uh, against talking openly about mental health issues in golf? Because there's almost like, well, if you're a pro athlete, you should suck it up and manage it. What's your take on that? Um, I think a little bit, but I think in the last uh, two or three years, it's kind of being more out in the open. Like a, a lot more girls have come out about um, battling depression on tour. And so the tour has actually... Um, been trying to do like little partnerships with you know stuff like Talkspace or um, like apps like that to be able to give us access to talk to someone if we really need to and of course like all all like anonymous which is really really great but I think like from the get-go like golf golfers are just kind of almost predisposed towards that um, just because of like the nature of our game. We're playing a really, really difficult game. <laughs> and, and if you are someone that puts any type of self-worth into the score that you shoot, then it's tough. And then also, it's also like, you could go online and see exactly what type of year someone's happening. Like you could Google my name and know exactly like how much I made last year and the year before. And, right. and that, it's not like a, like a traditional job. So in the same way, like, I think that also ties into, you know, being out there and like having people know exactly how you're doing in your job. Like you would never have that in like accounting. Right. <laughs> they would never be like, ooh, <laughs> that one that you filed three months ago, like what happened there? But like right. that happens all the time where 
um, fans will come up to me if I haven't struck, if I haven't been playing well and be like, man, what, what's been going on with you out of concern. Of course, they're not doing it in like a mean spirited way at all. It's, but like, it's kind of like a constant reminder. Like we know exactly how you're doing. <laughs> like, like what, what's going on with you? Like, why, why did you shoot 78? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just did, man. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Now, how did you, and I guess that's uh, being a pro athlete, how do you manage your public eye presence with your personal life? Like, so for example, some athletes are very cool with being out in the open a lot. Others like to keep a small inner circle. And I guess with social media today, everybody can be like the star of their own reality TV show. Right. So how do you manage your public image versus, you know, having some semblance of a private life? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like, I pretty much put everything out there in general. I mean, thankfully, when I'm home in San Diego, none of my friends are golfers, so they have no idea what's going on. Like, all my friends in San Diego are either from, you know, like, growing up or they're people that I surf with, and so a lot of the time, they'll be like, well, it's actually really cute when they come out to the Kia Classic, which is the one local tournament we have. And, and they're asking all types of weird questions like, why is Tiff going to the green and like squatting up and down? Why is everyone squatting up and down? On <laughs> <You> the <okay? laughs> they're like, we get it, Tiff, you work out, you do squats. So I was like, no, we're like trying to read the green and like read the slopes. And, and that's actually really endearing because they just have no idea what's going on in the golf world. For them, it's kind of more like, oh, Tiff just leaves town for like two months and then she gets back and then we surf and go get brunch. <laughs> so right. um, it's kind of nice to be able to come back home and like have that atmosphere where people don't care what I shot in the last tournament and they don't care how I'm doing in terms of golf. They just care that I'm their friend and I'm paddling out with them and I'm, you know, cutting them off in the water <laughs> or something. Um, so I think for me, that's really important to have that close circle of friends who like aren't really invested in what you do (laughs) I think in general that's a very healthy thing to have yeah sometimes your your family can be your number one fans but they're they get a little overboard (laughs) right and in the same way like my parents are also very laid back in terms of golf performance um I think like my parents will come out to the Kia Classic every year because it's local. But I mean, my dad's been known to like bring a book and find a spot under a tree and just right. like zone out. So I think the fact that they're pretty detached from golf as well is also pretty nice. Yeah, I think that's a blessing as well. I mean, and again, it's a tough balance being a parent. Um, what do you, okay, do you have any favorite books or quotes that you enjoy? Any favorite books? Um, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like I love surfing way too much, but uh, probably Barbarian Days by William Finnegan. Barbarian Days by William Finnegan? Yeah, sorry, my headphone just came off. Um, okay. Yeah, because uh, it's actually a book that came out a couple years ago, and um, the writer is, for me, like you, sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. So um, it's pretty rare to, see like a really good surfer that's also a really good writer or vice versa like it's it's, they're almost a little bit mutually exclusive but this guy is actually a a really great writer and he grew up surfing in like the 60s and 70s before all these 
um, surf breaks got really populated. Um, so it's just kind of like a little interesting book about like surfing, like Chopu and breaks in Fiji before, before they became, became really famous. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't read a ton of books. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, favorite quote. Favorite quote. Probably gotta be treat yourself for gotcha. parks and rec. <laughs> nice. Um, for you know, looking at your career, um, I guess when when you like when you look back, obviously like golf isn't golf isn't forever. Although you kind of can play golf until you're basically like dead and like right. hundred years old. <laughs> One of the few sports you can do that in. But um, you know, you might not always play competitively at some point. And when so when you reach that day when you're you know when you're older and you look back on your your pro playing career what's the one thing you would want people to remember and take away from your playing days um I think for me um like our motto on tour is like act like a founder and it's kind of a nod to the founders that originally started our tour um and the biggest tenet of that is just leaving the tour better than how you found it. So that's what I would hope would be like my legacy is that I just left the place better than, than I came into it. Awesome. And then what do you enjoy most about golf? Like what made you fall in love with the sport? Um, I think for me, it was like, I, I kind of come across as like a pretty extroverted, like gregarious person, but for me, golf is like a really solitary thing. And one of my favorite things to do is to just like grab a shag bag full of balls and go and like chip by myself. And I love kind of just that practice of refining something. And mm -hmm. it's probably the same thing that, that kind of drew me towards surfing is like, I love refining things probably even more than I love the actual competitive aspect of golf. Um, mm -hmm. I just like the, the self-improvement part of it. Awesome. Cool. Well, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. I'm going to pause the recording. Hang on. Thanks for listening to the Coach K Hill podcast. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it on any social media platform or leave a review on Apple iTunes. It really helps a lot with spreading the word. And thanks for your time.